Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. We start off this week with good news for Donald Trump supporters. The polls, which started to tighten over the last few weeks, have tightened up even more. And not just nationally, where Clinton's lead is now only around two points. In the most in sorry, in the two most electoral vote rich swing states, things are starting to look very interesting. Uh, for instance, in Ohio, which has 18 electoral votes, Trump is now up an average of 1.5 points in the polling averages, and he's down only two-tenths of a point in Florida, which has 29 electoral votes. The 538.com election forecast, which is my personal go-to forecast, now gives Donald Trump a 40.1% chance of becoming the next president. And not only that, but things are also starting to sour for Democrats hoping to take the Senate. The New York Times Senate election forecast, which less than a month ago gave the Democrats an over 60% chance of becoming the Senate majority, now only gives them a 53% chance. In other words, it's not at all far-fetched now to envision Donald Trump as president with the Republican House and Senate. So, Jay, what do you think's going on here? Well, a couple of things. Um, first of all, this this was a very bad week for Hillary Clinton. And, I, you know, when you look at the polls and the averages of the polls, I mean, some of that uh, is, is going to depend when those polls were taken. Um, uh, as listeners may or may not know, I mean, we taped this show uh, Sunday mornings uh, shortly after uh, we taped our show and released it. Uh, she had a, a fainting spell uh, at a 9-11 commemoration ceremony. Um, it's most likely not coincidental. Uh, we don't know whether she had been listening to it. Uh, just prior to that, but uh, it was it was at one point claimed that it was the heat, and then it was pneumonia. Um, uh, regardless, you know the video surfaced, and um, she's had a bad week. And I, th- I think the bad week is is due less to the health issue itself, and and more to just the um, you know here here's the Clintons again. What else? What else aren't they telling us? Kind of thing. So so setting that aside, I mean, I, I think you have to look at that these polls in that lens of uh, this was a bad week uh, for Hillary because of essentially partially external events. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm not I'm not sure that the lead has shrunk that much. Uh, they're probably still margin of error. Um, but I think you, at the same time, you can't you can't ignore yet. Yeah, it's tightening more and, and more than than um, most people would have thought. I mean, the the conventional wisdom would be at this point, Hillary ought to be pulling away. It's going to tighten, and then it's not going to tighten. Um, and and it, that seems to be not happening. So I I would say let I mean let's wait another week or so and see how things ride out. And we've got a debate coming up, which will be another big event. Um, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say there's been a a, a real shift in in well, I should say there's just been a shift in momentum. I'm not saying I don't want to say that's it's, it's permanent. Uh, I guess in, until we see how how we ride how Hillary rides out the the rest of this week. Mm-hmm. 
You know, uh, yeah, there's a lot of talk about the polls being within the margin of error. Some of my Democrat friends are calling it the margin of terror, which I, <laughs> I sort of like. But. I, although although I, I do want to say something on, on the Senate races because I think that's that's interesting. And the the fear, you know, several months ago was that Trump would drag down all Republican Senate candidates uh, and that the Democrats would run sort of side-by-side ads of Trump and, and whoever the candidate is. And they have done so in, in Ohio with um, Rob Portman. Um, but that doesn't seem to be making that much of a difference. I mean, Portman seems to be running a good campaign and it seems to be getting better. And, and partially, again, it's it's I think people might be making their decisions based on, on – um, you know, just the, the candidates themselves, uh, which we'd say would would be a good thing. He's running against former governor, Ohio governor Ted, Ted Strickland, who had sort of a, a, a rocky time of it. Um, so it looks like the Senate races, and again, I'm, you know, more competent to, to talk about Ohioans specifically, just because that's the you know the place I'm seeing the ads and seeing the numbers. Um, are coming down to more of these individual contests and not. Uh, this, these Senate candidates are not being cast successfully as Trump proxies. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think absolutely that's that's certain. There's certainly something to that, you know. I and mean, we talked a, a few stories, or sorry, a few uh, shows back about some of the problems the Democrats have had with with their bench and and, and for various reasons. So yeah, I think. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a serious concern for Democrats, certainly. So, you know, as to why things are tightening, I, I do I will call it a, a trend. I don't necessarily expect it to get a whole lot tighter, but I think there are a number of reasons. You touched on a few of them. I actually have a five part theory <laughs> as to as to why this <laughs> those, is. Those are always good. Oh yeah, yeah you know. Um, well, you already mentioned one of those things is that you know Clinton's the Clinton health stuff certainly couldn't have helped. Not just the health issue, but how she handled it course, which just reinforces that uh, that sort of lack of transparency and trustworthiness, which I would argue is actually worse, a lot worse for Trump. But that's another uh, that's another. Well, you point. know, something else, and I don't want to knock you off your five points, but um, there, there's there's two pieces of that. One is the lack of transparency and how that that plays with the voters. But the other piece of it is among Democrats. Uh, the sense of uh, again, sort of the the Cleveland Browns fan sense of my God, can anyone here you know play this game? Um, that that how how on earth did Hillary Clinton's campaign people and handlers, knowing that she's ill, allow her to be put in that position? Um, and I think that sort of put struck terror into some Democrats' hearts of of my gosh, who's who's running the show if if they're making those kind of errors? But I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um- well, I think not just the health stuff, but the email stuff still continues to reverberate, you know, uh, and that's one thing. A second thing is that Donald Trump has only started really serious spending on TV ads in the last few weeks, and that may be having some impact. You know, I mean, he's Clinton is still wildly outspending him, but, you know, Trump's ad spending now, I think, is finally starting to make uh, make a difference. So that's the second thing. A third thing, I think, is that Republican voters are kind of starting to come back home a little bit, which is probably something that most of them are going to do. For instance, uh, uh, his support among Republican identifiers a few weeks ago was in the 70 percent range. Now it's in the mid 80 percent range. I don't know it's going to get a whole lot higher, but uh, I think that's a third factor. A fourth factor, I think, is that voters very, very clearly don't trust either of these candidates. Right. But 
many voters want to change. This is what uh, maybe what political scientists call a change election. And when you take a look at the polling data on which candidate would be a more likely agent of change, Donald Trump wins that by a lot. And, you know, that kind of change isn't necessarily a good thing. But if you think that uh, uh, politics is a, a corrupt and horrible thing and you want someone to come in and to, you know, cl- uh, clean things out, Hillary Clinton cannot credibly make an argument that she is a change maker. It's just it's it's ridiculous on its face. Right. And Donald Trump yeah. certainly that he's all about change. Now, I would argue that it's horrible, horrible kind of change, not a good change at all. But I think there's that. And then fifth and finally, this might even be the most important, I don't know, is that our, the third and the third party candidates, Johnson and, and Stein, are drawing a lot more from Clinton than they are from Trump, especially with millennial voters who don't like Clinton even a little bit. And the Clinton people over the last week or two have been working really, really hard on that. They've gotten their surrogates out there who are popular with younger voters. Uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, both of the Obamas are out there stumping for Clinton. I think – that as it gets closer to election time, some of these voters, or at least enough of these voters, are going to realize that, geez, we don't want a Nader um, Clinton. And I'm referring, obviously, to the 2000 election when the Nader voters basically managed to elect George W. Bush. Uh, and I think that message, as it gets closer and closer, is going to resonate a little bit and that some of those voters are going to say, whoa, what are we going to potentially do here? Um, and so that's why I think it was good news for the Clinton people that uh, that Gary Johnson did not qualify for the first presidential debate. I think that would have been a disaster for the Clinton people. Um, so I think those are the five things that are driving this. And I, I wouldn't I, – again, I said it, I don't think it will tighten up a whole lot more. I think things might tighten up a little bit more. But I think some of that also depends on uh, on how things happen during the debate, you know. Yeah. And uh. one other thing before we get to the debate, should say we should mention the health issue. You brought up the health issue. Uh, Donald Trump this week went on the Dr. Oz show. Uh, and that seems like a match made in heaven right there. Um, two definitely non-establishment figures with questionable uh, uh, questionable competence, but a great popular following, certainly. Anyway, Trump released some health data, and assuming assuming we can believe to, it. To Dr. Oz, Yes, to Dr. Oz. not to the general public, right. yeah. And at least based on the numbers he resulted, I got to say, I looked at that, and for a 70-year-old guy, those are those. that's some pretty good blood work results, you know? And, and to me, the health thing was never a huge issue anyway, but you know, I, I, I think this. I, I would hope this kind of puts it to rest. But you know, who knows? So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? The the other piece of the health thing, and again, goes more to the you know, again, the I don't want to say cover up because I don't know if that's the case. But uh, Bill Clinton's statements to CBS, which were edited, um, about Hillary has these these you know bouts frequently, um, and CBS <laughs> took it upon themselves to edit out frequently. Uh, and then he followed up with, you know, and, you know, sort of by that, I mean, occasionally and by that, I mean, rarely. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, and by that, I mean, almost never. Um, and, and again, that that troubles. I mean, that bugs me a lot. I mean, I'm not, you know, I think people know I'm not a huge Trump fan myself, but uh, the the idea that what Trump is running against is sort of a, a politically correct uh, media biased uh, type situation that plays right into his wheelhouse. Of of look, she does this. Uh, there's the cover up. Uh, Bill gets out there, and 
uh, says this, and the media, you know, takes it upon itself uh, to to fix his mistakes. Um, uh, you know that again. I mean, I'm not saying you know elections don't turn on this kind of thing, but it adds to the pile and and uh, uh, adds to the perception that you need a change agent um, uh, to to you know who's not going to be in this this club that's sort of self protecting. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and kind of. Moving on to the debate, and we should say uh, presidential debates almost never make any real difference in elections. I mean there's tons of data to, to support this. One thing political scientists talk about a lot, but but I think it's entirely possible that this year could be different. You know, The first presidential debate is just over a week away, Monday, September 26th. And uh, from all reports, Hillary, Hillary Clinton is said to be cramming furiously while Donald Trump is playing it a whole lot looser, which I would say is pretty much exactly what you would <laughs> expect from both of these candidates. So uh, what, what will you be looking for at the debate, Jay, and, and what do you expect to see? I, I think um – the debate will will you know again it, it Trump is going to stick to his sort of the breezy look cam hey, I'm, I'm different um he's not going to get bogged down into policy details no it's never been a problem for him and and I think to the extent that she does that that's a problem for her um just because uh, debates are debates are, are not really debates if you follow me uh, this isn't a a sober discussion of of uh, serious uh, policy issues and the the right. uh, candidate's position on each one. It's it's uh, it's it's sort of showtime entertainment, and I think Trump does does better at that than Hillary does. Yeah, definitely. He's a lot more comfortable, a lot more natural, um, a lot less scripted. Uh, you know, I it seems to me from what I've read, Trump Trump could do. Th- the, I mean, what you know, what Reagan was sort of rightly, rightly or wrongly, sort of in in different quarters, criticized for or praised for. But the famous line of, uh, you know, Mondell launched into a whole big litany of of tax, you know, proposals and and so forth, and Reagan responded just by shaking his head and saying, "There he goes again." Yeah. Uh, that might be if I were advising Trump. I mean, that would be sort of my. <laughs> My, and I, I don't think well, I don't. I don't think you need to advise Trump on that. Exactly. I think Trump <laughs> is a Trump is a natural. He is so comfortable with the media, and Hillary Clinton is the exact opposite. So I, I could see this going uh, a number of ways. Now, the Clinton team is reportedly focusing on ways to needle Trump because one of Trump's great weaknesses, obviously, is that he has an incredibly hard time not counterpunching, as he puts it, and. You know, hitting back twice as hard. We saw that with the the gold star parents thing, and you know, uh, so that could. I get that as a strategy, and that makes a lot of sense. But you know, it 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 seems to me that in the last week or so, Donald Trump has found a way, for the most part, to dial it back a little bit, just a little bit. And I almost wonder if if he just goes into this debate and he doesn't rise to the bait that Hillary Clinton's going to put out there to counterpunch, doesn't react to those needles. If he just looks moderately sane and, you know, calm, if that isn't going to be enough. So in a way, maybe the bar's a lot lower for him. I don't know if he can do that. 
But I know if I were his campaign manager, I'd maybe give him a few Valium or, you know, the debate's going to be in New York. So that's a medical marijuana state. So maybe, you know, a few a few hits of New York Kush or something like that. I don't know, just to take the edge off or something. I, I, I think that I think that the Clinton plan could very easily could very easily backfire because already I think a lot of people rightly or wrongly see her as. Uh, annoying and strident, and that in part, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of people have said, well, it's because there's a double standard for females, and I absolutely agree with that. It's totally not fair, but I think if she comes off like it that, is what it is. Yeah, so, yeah, if she if she comes off like that, and Trump doesn't rise to the bay, she could end up looking really, really bad, uh, and that could be that could be a big problem, certainly. So, I like I said, I normally don't think debates are a big deal, but. You know, this has been a very special election, I think. Trump's a very different sort of candidate. And I think this could really make a difference. And, you know, obviously, I'm, I've am i been on record to say I will be voting for Hillary Clinton. And I, I, I certainly uh, support her. But I, I'm very concerned about this debate. I think this could really be a bad moment for, for Hillary Clinton, though I certainly hope not. Okay. Yeah. And also I should I should point out we mentioned before that uh that Gary Johnson will not be part of this debate and that's because the uh the Commission on Presidential Debates has a has a floor of you have to get to 15% in the polls before you're part of the debate and Johnson is at the time of the cutoff was uh eight, at 8.4% and Stein was at 3.2%. So I don't think that either of those candidates is going to be part of any of the debates and on, on one hand I've said before I I think it's great for different viewpoints to get out there for to the public and the debates are one way where that could certainly happen but as somebody who very desperately does not want to see Donald Trump as president. I'm glad because I think what would happen is that probably Johnson as part of the debates would, you know, gain more supporters. And I think that support would disproportionately come from Hillary Clinton, or maybe he would just come off as sounding crazy and then he would lose support. And I'd be actually okay with that, but that's kind of too big of a, too big of a risk. So I think that's kind of the right call is in having three or four person debates, as we saw kind of with the Republican debates a little bit. And and with some of the earlier, the Democrat debates don't really work. It doesn't really work out too well. Right. It, yeah. It's just I mean, I, I think I think you can do three or four. I think that works. But but again, much more than that. And there's always sort of the um, when you have those debates, it's sort of the OK, the two the two main um, uh, debaters and then it's the other guy. Um, so there's yeah. that weird sort of uh, vibe to it, too. Um, and, and I expect uh, I would I would have liked to have seen Gary Johnson uh, in the debate uh, uh, again, just because, look, I. Uh, I would love to see sort of libertarian small government uh, agenda get some get some uh, a spotlight in the media, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I would one other thing I should mention on debates is uh, I I certainly hope and I expect Lester Holt, who's going to be the uh, moderator of this first debate, to really go hard at Trump about some of his just out and out lies, specifically his lie about having uh, so having opposed the invasion of Iraq from the very beginning, which is just categorically not true. And, you know, we'll we'll talk about this a, a little bit later on in the show, I think. But uh, th- this idea that the media has just been, you know, kind of treating Trump with kid gloves, and I think that's true in a way, in that it's so. The media is used to dealing with candidates who sort of shade the truth, 
They're mm-hmm. not used to dealing with candidates who just flat out lie about stuff and they don't know how to deal with it because the only way to deal with that is just call somebody a liar. And that just is not something the media has traditionally done. And I think uh, they're going to have to get used to that with uh, with Donald Trump, certainly. And I hope it doesn't happen too late. Well, I, I would say it's less than and again, we might hit on this this later. It's less the candidates shade the truth, because I, I think you could point out to plenty of places where Hillary Clinton has just out and out lied uh, and the media doesn't want to call her on it. Um, it's more sort of the nature of, of, of the lies and the um, – I'd almost say you – know, we could have a whole show on this. In my view, Hillary Clinton is a liar and, and Trump is more of just a bullshitter. And I think there's, the, the difference being that um, there's almost like an inference that, look, you really shouldn't believe Trump in the first place. And if you are, uh, shame on you. But, but – uh, we had someone post on the website, and I responded uh, to this briefly. That, yeah, it is in a way um, that the the mainstream media is is still looking at this as a, a Olympic boxing match, uh, and you know where there are certain rules, and, and this is how it's done. And Trump comes in as an MMA fighter, and they just don't really know how to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, and like you said, well, we'll uh, there was actually a listener question about that that I thought was really, uh, really uh, put, put very well. And we're going to come back to this in a little bit, definitely, because I, I definitely want to get back to that liar versus BS or kind of thing. I have more than a few things to say on that. But let's hold off for that for just a few minutes. Uh, Donald Trump actually talked policy this week. Well, I'm, at least in broad strokes. Uh, he discussed his child care initiative and his plan to dramatically grow the economy. The child care highlights were six weeks of paid maternity leave and expanded tax credits for child care. Now, that would be far more than women currently get, but considerably less generous than what Hillary Clinton is proposing, as well as a lot less expansive than what women in just about every other wealthy, advanced country in the world are entitled to. So what did you think of Jay? Uh, Jay, what did you think of Trump's child care proposal? You know, I, I'm this is something I'm, I'm sort of, of of a couple different minds of it. Um, you know, I would say traditional Republicans would say, look, it's more government spending um, uh, and uh, we don't want to put this on business. We don't want to put this on the government. But there, there's a good point in, to the extent of, of, look, everybody else does it. Uh, there are some good social policy reasons for it. Uh, that are are data supported. Uh, it is smart politically, um, and and you know we've got a we've got a situation where we you know we compensate people who are unemployed uh, just because of of becoming unemployed. Uh, ought we not to do that for people who are are that way um, out of out of work temporarily uh, because they choose to have children, which is something that is in the Republican view it's 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 good for good for the country. Uh, uh, good for families, good for the human race. Um, you know, I, I, so you know, it could Trump's plan be more generous, perhaps. Um, but I, I'm I'm fine with it. Uh, um, well, I would say that it's you know it, again, it, there's always the you know Democrat versus Republican, uh, some sort of benefit plan. The Democrats always will be more generous. That's just the nature sure. of. Yeah. Of the beast. And they will always outbid Republicans on, on any sort of spending proposal. Yeah. Without, I mean, almost certainly. And, and, you know, I, this is an area where I'm actually somewhat encouraged because both candidates have proposals that are better than what I, what, what is the status quo right now. And, uh, you know, traditionally 
Republican presidential candidates have not been uh, as generous on this issue as as Donald Trump is. And so this is one policy area where at least I think Donald Trump's instincts, if these are in fact his instincts, I mean, he basically uh, picked this up because his because his daughter really is pushing for it and so forth, which that gets into a whole other issue of where Trump gets his ideas. Somebody just says something to him and he says, oh, it seems like a good idea, you know, without really thinking it through necessarily. Right. But I think... This is at least mildly encouraging that both candidates understand the importance of this and to bring us more in line with what other uh, uh, with what other advanced wealthy countries are doing. So I think that's that's a good thing. Now, as for Trump's economic, there, there, okay. I, I do I do want to add though in in any of 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 these plans, there is also the unintended consequences, which we often talk about. Sure, and there are a number of companies that. Uh, more than a number, uh, lots of companies that that already provide paid maternity leave. Yeah. Uh, what does this do to them? Um, does it does it sort of take away uh, better benefits from some folks in in uh, in favor of a lowest common denominator of, of benefits, uh, rather than just letting letting the market sort it out? Um, that would be my my free market approach and my caution as far as the unintended consequence uh, piece of it, but. Well, and that, that's why I think it's good to do these things across the board so that uh, that way that companies that want to offer this aren't at a competitive disadvantage. Uh, and I think that's, that's in one in one sense why it's good to have these as, as national, every, it covers everyone's sort of policies. But I also want to mention that this is, again, another instance where Donald Trump couldn't help but lie. Uh, he said that uh, Hillary Clinton had no plan of her own on on uh, on this and never will. When if you just go to her <laughs> website, it's right there. Her plan was issued more than a year ago, uh, and you know it's 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 clearly there. He just can't help himself. And I don't know. I don't necessarily think they're conscious lies. I just think something well, pops yeah, into his head and he sense. says, "Yes, yeah, let's say she doesn't have a plan." You know? I don't think he he went on the website and knew about the plan or. Uh, no. or- asked anyone does she have a plan he just sort of just sort of says stuff yeah and and clinton's plan actually is much clearer and much more detailed about how it would be paid for and so forth it has some basis in what i would call reality uh whereas donald trump's plan uh, as most of his plans are vague and, and sort of unrealistic well, I mean, it, no there's there is some basis in reality for donald trump's plan and that essentially it would work similar to the way we we work uh, unemployment um insurance at this point mm-hmm. okay well yeah and it's just not as detailed fair enough now Speaking of unrealistic plans, the centerpiece of Trump's economic policy proposal he made this week is the creation of 25 million jobs over the next 10 years. Now, he failed to explain how that could happen, which totally makes sense because it's pretty much demographically impossible. Uh, really, about the only way it could happen would be if we opened up the floodgates for immigrants, and I'm guessing that's probably not on Trump's agenda. Uh, he also pledged a return to 3.5% annual growth, which is a steep increase from our current pace pace of around 2%. And once again, few details were given, which once again makes sense because that sort of increase would require advances in productivity that really don't have much at all to do with government. Uh, I don't know. That's that's what my, my thoughts are. I mean, hey, you know what? I'm running for president too. I can play this game. I hereby pledge to create 50 million jobs and get us to 5% annual growth while eliminating not only the deficit but our national debt, which is just shy of $20 trillion. And also, I'm going to cut taxes for everyone and, um, you know, uh, give everyone puppies and, and beer, really good craft beer. That That's my policy proposal. And it has just as much basis in reality as Donald Trump's. 
Wow. There there you go again with appealing to your elite people with uh, your craft beer. Yeah, you know, I, um, yeah, maybe I should have said the beer Trump, of your Trump choice. Are, I think are, are Budweiser drinkers. But, yeah, you're probably um, right. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not sure how, how I respond to this. I mean, every candidate always says, I mean, I've got an economic plan that's going to change everything and make, make things great. Probably one of the only ones who, who had like a really solid – a uh, very honest economic plan was was Bob Dole when he talked about I want to uh, increase uh, the growth rate by approximately 0.5 percent or something like that and um, you know again people flock to the polls for that um, uh, no I, I think I think there's a, a good argument to be made that as you pare back um, uh, government uh, regulation uh, changing the corporate tax structure uh, which which Trump has put out a fairly substantive proposal in, in doing to, to do that. Uh, would increase growth. Now, can you say it does? It 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 uh, doubles the, the growth rate in the economy right away? No, because it's there are so many factors and and um, uh, so forth, and and the ramp up time and that kind of thing. Um, but does it does it help? Yeah. Does it improve? Yeah. Does it take away uh, sort of the the harnesses that are are sort of holding sure. economic growth back and have held economic growth yeah, back over the last. Decade. It's that standard, what I call that standard Republican argument of if we cut back on regulations and if we cut taxes, you'll see growth that will more than make up for the loss in revenue of tax cuts and all that. And I think that for the most part, that is a completely bogus argument. I think that there's plenty of evidence to support that, but I know except I, that it works. It for, doesn't for work. It, it doesn't work. It never will work. It's that it's that BS bogus trickle down theory that just that that just helps to keep the one percent in the one percent, oh and goodness. just and Whoa, just screws over everyone else. Business that has much, so much more to do with uh, the Fed and interest rates than, yeah, than anything okay. else. You keep on telling yourself um, that. But uh, let me let me just put it put it to you this way: um, Wouldn't you agree that decreasing tax burdens, decreasing the regulatory burdens, uh, historically? Has had the impact of increasing growth. Uh, nope. nope, nope. In fact, I would it's, say it's during not it. I it's would not say if you take a look at uh, the tax burdens during, say, like the the nineteen fifties and the nineteen sixties, considerably considerably higher, and growth was considerably better. And so I, I mean, there are other factors for that, but I just don't right. think the relationship that is often cited as, as being uh, being between these two things. I just I just don't think it's there. I don't think it's supportable. Uh, and so that's why I'm not in favor of of that sort of policy at all. Okay. Well, I would just I would just point to you know the 1980s through the uh, uh end of the 1990s with the very with the blip of the um Bush recession. Uh, and there is is proof to the contrary, but you know that's something we can uh, agree to disagree on. Yeah, well, we could do we could certainly do a whole we could certainly do a whole show on that, and I would be more than happy to to, to whip out my economic statistics and so forth. Uh, but uh, but yeah, maybe maybe we should do something like that. I don't know, but that would be that would be that would make for an interesting show. I think certainly. So you know, let's keep on the economic uh, sort of focus because there was some really good economic news this week, actually. Um, so thanks, Obama, as the Republicans sometimes say, though they're generally not happy about it. But this is really good news, and the Census Bureau reported that in 2015, median household income grew 5.2 percent. 
the poverty rate fell from 14.8 to 13.5 percent, and the number of people who were uninsured dropped from 33 million to 29 million. Plus, even better, the economic gains weren't concentrated at the top, as has been the pattern for quite a while now. Households in the bottom 10% saw a 7.8% income increase on average, while households in the top 10% gained 2.9% on average. Now, of course, a 2.9% gain when you're in the top 10% is a whole lot more in dollar terms than a 7.8% gain when you're in the bottom 10%. But still, this was very encouraging news, wouldn't you say? I think it's good. No, it, it's good news. Um, I would say also wage growth, though, is is a a lagging indicator. Um, it's it's not saying here we are. It, it's sort of saying, look, we are finally coming out of the recovery that's that's taken eight years. Um, so I is is it good news? Sure. Um, uh, does it does it portend better news? I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I think it merely reflects uh, the fact that we've we have climbed out of the hole. Well, I think we've been in a slow uh, upward trend for years now, actually, if you yeah. take a look at this. But, and of course, and that's, this and is, that's what I think this, this reflects is, I mean, companies aren't going to increase wages until they've gotten a, a feeling that we are sort of out of that, out of that hole and that the, the trajectory is in the right, right direction. Yeah. And this certainly is not, uh, this is not a story that you'll, you'll be hearing from Donald Trump uh, with, without a doubt because in Donald Trump's America, things are going directly to hell and have been for, for a while since, uh, since that, okay, I guess maybe he was born in the United States president uh, has, has taken office. And, you know, but that's part of that sort of typical when you are challenging an incumbent party, you talk about how awful things are. I think Donald Trump's vision of America tends to be even darker than, than most, uh, than most challenging candidates is, but that's, you know, that's a, that's Donald wow. Trump. What, did, what, geez, what did, what did Trump do to you over the last week? Just, I think, I think Trump is a, I think Trump a, is a reprehensible human being who would well, be yeah, an awful, and, and awful president. A and, while, but I mean, this week you're just, yeah. Well, as it, as it becomes closer and closer to the election and things are tightening, I feel, I feel I have an obligation to point out the ways in which he just, I think, is completely and totally unfit for office. And, you know, that's not to say that I'm thrilled with Hillary Clinton. I'm absolutely not thrilled with Hillary Clinton. But I think Donald Trump is just a bad man uh, in so many ways. And I think it would just be horrendous if he actually became president. I think it would say so many bad things about what's happened to democracy in this country and, and debate and discourse and the importance of rationality and reliance on facts and so forth. I just think it would be just horrible. And that's, okay. I guess, why I'm coming out much more strongly in recent weeks against Donald Trump. I'm just saying you're less analytical today, more Hmm. I guess uh, you know, emotional. well, I, I guess I guess I'm emotional because I just started thinking more about uh, about the lies and sort of how Trump would be as a president as it becomes as, as it looks like more and more of a thing that could reasonably happen. I was playing around with a, with a map of, you know, a, a electoral map, and it wasn't that difficult for me now with the with the uh, current polling data to plot a path to 270 electoral votes for Donald Trump. It's the first time I've been able to say that. I've been playing with that map off and on for weeks now. And I looked at that and I thought, oh my God, I can totally see this happening. And that would be, I think, a, a really black eye for this country and could do a lot of harm. And so I feel it's important to come out and, and, and speak very passionately about that. All right. All right. Um, 
Let's move on now for to listener mail. We have a couple of comments this week. Um, okay. One I sort of mentioned already. This first one from Warren in Boston who writes, Hey guys, love the podcast. Hope you can briefly talk about the media and their performance in this election. I consider myself an independent. I voted for Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012, but I might have supported John Kasich this year. But I've noticed the notion of false equivalence that many liberals, such as Paul Krugman, have recently raised about the media, in which Clinton's relatively normal political basket of issues are blown up in size to match the vast amount of crazy stuff that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. In particular, the media seems incredibly eager to paint Hillary Clinton and her campaign as shadowy and mysterious, often devoting entire articles or news segments to unsubstantiated facts one step away from conspiracy theories. You can look at Clinton's pneumonia episode, in which, over the course of the day, the media decided that Clinton had a transparency issue, when there's nothing that indicates that any other presidential candidate would have immediately disclosed the diagnosis of pneumonia. I would propose that no campaign would willingly do so. Do you both see it like this as well? Or perhaps you think the media is doing a fine job, the best they can, covering this complicated campaign? Maybe Clinton's media woes are self-inflicted wounds. I would love for you to briefly talk about it. Thanks again for all the hard work you guys do. So what do you think? Thank you, Warren. That's a really good question. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I want to kind of hold off because I think Warren actually phrased it a lot better than kind of I was at least earlier. And so I thought that was a nice kind of uh, framing device for us to talk about that. So what do you think? Well, my my first thought is, is there as a a false equivalence? The the difference in this election, I think, is that you've got the media covering Hillary Clinton as a, a politician, as a traditional politician, and she's got sort of the traditional uh, politician baggage of, you know, what was she involved in and when and being in the public eye and uh, emails and public trust and so forth. Trump coming in as a complete outsider uh, presents, I think, the media with a a little bit of a a different kind of a challenge. Um, First of all, he doesn't have as much of a public record as Hillary Clinton does. Now, you can say, look, he, he says a lot of stuff. Uh, Quite honestly, he says a whole lot more stuff than, than your average private citizen or, or a businessman does. Um, so you've got uh, tweets and you've got Howard Stern uh, appearances and, and uh, all those sort of things that you can point to if he said something uh, at, at some point and then is, is backtracked or lied or whatever. Um, Hillary has has been much more in the public eye than what Donald Trump has. So there's a, there's a deeper record. Um, the other th- piece of it is I, I think that the media likes narratives. Uh, they like to tell a story. And the story they tell with the Clintons, rightly or wrongly, I, I think in many ways rightly, is that they are are very uh, secretive, paranoid almost. Um, and that shows through going back to uh, you know Whitewater and, and Monica Lewinsky and uh, Vince Foster, um, uh, the Cattle Futures uh, incident, um, all, all those things, uh, the Mark Rich pardon, you know, there, so that there is there is a narrative, there is a box for the media to, to put that story into. Um, with Trump, it just isn't there or to the extent it is there, the narrative is uh, here's a crazy loudmouth guy. And I think that that's that story is maybe less interesting, especially if you're a media person, if you're if you're in this this, you know, Woodward and Bernstein sort of sort of mode. It's much more interesting to tell a story about someone who's hiding 
political secrets and and there's conspiracies and lack of transparency and all this sort of stuff at the highest reaches of government as opposed to, hey, here's this loudmouth business guy. Um, so I think that's 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 a, a part of it. Yeah, I, I would agree, especially about the framing thing. Uh, it's, it's pretty clear, and there's been a lot of research on this, that, that that this sort of framing device, this tends to happen fairly early on, and once a frame is established, it sticks both for reporters and, I mean, both for the media and for uh the the citizens, the audience, and so forth for, you know, I think some pretty understandable and obvious reasons. And I want to come back to something you said earlier, which just immediately kind of made, I don't know, an alarm bell go off. You said uh, to the effect of, you know, it's like the difference between Hillary Clinton is a liar, but Donald Trump is a BSer. And and, and you know, I, I immediately got what you were saying, but that also immediately made me think, and that's exactly the problem, right? I think uh, I would disagree to a certain extent probably with you about how much Hillary Clinton lies. I, I would say that she does more of the political thing of just spinning the truth, which is a different thing from lying. But that aside, that giving Donald Trump a pass because he's a, B, a BSer, I think absolutely is happening. I guess the, the, re, the way where I part with some of my uh, friends on the left is that I don't think it's intentional. And I don't even think it's from cowardice on the part of the media. I think what's going on is, as I've sort of said before, is that they're just not used to dealing with this. And you have to remember that most of the people in the media who are covering politics, especially the big names, they've been doing this for, in many cases, decades and decades. And so they've gotten used to thinking about the world and politicians and elections and candidates in certain ways. And, along and, and comes, there's a way that the game has been played and there's sort exactly. of rules to that game and everyone understands them. And, yeah. yeah. Donald Trump comes in and changes the rules and it's taken a, a long time for them to catch up. Now, I will say I've noticed some of them catching up. I, As you know, Jay, I am a regular, faithful, daily reader of the New York Times. Um, yes. And I have noticed a definite change. And in it their, shows. Yeah, well – Yes, I've noticed a definite change in their coverage lately. They have been a lot more comfortable throughout, I think, the paper in calling Donald Trump to account. Not, and I don't, I don't consider that biased reporting. I just he lies, and they're actually starting to say he lies, not some kind of weaselly language about that. So I think they're adapting to that, and I give them a lot of credit for that. I think that Lester Holt, I hope that Lester Holt, the first debate, is going to do that. And so I think they're gradually in a kind of catching on to this. Now, the Trump people are saying, well, they're, they're against us and that just shows the liberal bias. It's like, no, if you lie, if you flat out lie about stuff, people are going to call you on it. You just need to suck it up and get yeah. used to that. You know, here's – I'm going to interrupt just for a second just because I, I think there's another thing looking at Trump getting easier coverage up till now. Um, may, and this is – you can label this conspiracy theory. Uh, but it's, it's a part of um, – I think the media and Democrats in general thought that Trump would be the candidate that they would want to run against, uh, although they didn't think it would actually happen. Um, and it was it's very much like the, the John McCain phenomenon when when for quite a while in that campaign, he was a, a straight talk maverick and uh, everyone uh, everyone loved him um, until he actually became the nominee. At which point he was having affairs with so you know people. And yeah, all that sort I don't of really, thing. I don't really buy that, but I, I see what you're saying. I, I, I don't think there's much to that, but you know, kind of going along with that, or not necessarily going along with that, but it made me think of something else. Is that you know, it seems to me that uh, you may, you're certainly right in the fact that the Clinton campaign, I think the Clinton supporters at least, really were looking forward 
to running against Donald Trump, figuring that he would just basically implode, which obviously hasn't happened. But, you know, it, it occurs to me that both parties have to be just gnashing their teeth because each party could say, you know, if we were able to run anyone but the person we were running, we probably would be cleaning up right now. I, mean, oh, I, yeah. I, I don't know yeah. how much truth there is to that, but certainly I think you can you can make a case for that. Uh, I know the Bernie supporters are saying that. I am a little more skeptical about that. But, you know, when you have, and we said this before, when you have the most, un, most unliked person uh, running against the second most unliked person that you've ever seen in polling, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, that, that's a rough thing for both parties, certainly. So, um, all right. Um, let's move on to our second listener comment. Uh, I didn't get permission to use this person's name who wrote the comment, my bad. So for now, we'll just say a listener. Uh, okay. For, uh, for now, who asked us, when we'll have a female guest on the show noted that, you know, it's, it's basically, it's been middle-aged, middle-aged and older white guys, uh, on the show. And that's absolutely true. Um, and it was, it was odd because the, the listener uh, sent in this comment. And a few days before I was talking to my wife, I said, you know, it's weird, but we haven't had any women on the show. Um, and, and that wasn't a conscious thing. We're not trying to, you know, make this an old white male sort of thing. God, no. Uh, but, when we have been looking for people to interview, at least I didn't even think about uh, gender or race or anything like that. I basically pulled up a list of what I considered kind of, you know, top pundits or people who I could find email addresses for, which actually is a little harder than you might think in some instances, you know. Um, and almost all of those names turned out were have been that, that came up initially were, were male. And I think in part, that's a reflection of the fact that uh, what you might call the punditocracy or the public, the roster of public intellectuals, uh, such as they are these days, is strongly weighted in favor of males. And I think that has a lot to do with a lot of issues in, involving what I would call uh, the systematic sort of uh, soft sexism uh, in, in public life and so forth. And I think that's a that's a real problem that's getting a little bit better. But, you know. For my part, I'm going to look a lot harder to try to find uh, a female and minority voices as well and kind of bring those voices in. And so I, I think that's an absolutely valid uh, criticism from that, uh, from our listener, and I am going to work on that, and we hope to have more uh, female minority voices on the show in the future. Um, Jay, what do you, what do you think? I I think that's that's about right. All right, cool. Um, I would I wouldn't have had to gone into all the uh, apologetics, but no. I look uh, the the point of the show is we want to get as many people talking uh, and as many perspectives as we can. Um, you know, when we started this, it it was just pretty much me and Mike, and and you know the perspectives we can provide are, are sort of limited to to what we've got. Um, I I could also say, look, look if. Um, if we're the the type of guys who who uh, well now never mind I well, I should I shouldn't say that I, you know you never know the audience um, <laughs> that is true but, uh, if if uh, I think the other challenge that that we have is uh, has been just sort of a purely like, technical one I mean we've talked about doing uh, interviews where we bring in a third person um, uh, be that white male uh, woman minority whatever. Um, it's just sort of there's some technical challenges to do that. So 
Um, and we're working on that. And we're so. working on that. We think we've got that figured out. Uh, and uh, I think you may be seeing some some changes that, that you like and uh, coming in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. You know, on a, on a related note, and I, this was a while back comment. Uh, I, I forget where it came from. A listener who said, uh, it seems to me that when you talk about Hillary Clinton, you often just use the word, you often just call her Hillary, whereas Donald Trump, you say Donald Trump or Trump or something like that. And, you know, I hadn't thought about that a whole lot. But, uh, and, and, and some people would argue that that's not at all uncommon for some people, especially for um, uh, middle-aged and older white males to kind of refer to women in that sort of diminished way. And if my, my response to this person was, I didn't re- if I'm in fact doing that, I didn't realize that and I, you know, make an effort to not do that in the future because I certainly I you know, I I'm aware on a lot of this, of a lot of the studies on that sort of unconscious sexism and so forth and you know, there's a lot of research that says everyone or a lot of people are even who would say that they're not racist or sexist actually are in a little bit. And so I think that's an important thing to, to keep an eye on and, and to work to try to uh, avoid and compensate for. And so I, I've been trying to do that, and I hope that's been effective. I, I don't even know if I do that. I don't think I do. Yeah, well, I, like I said uh, this but, is – But I but I would point out though, let's you also have to look at to some extent if you want to say that that's out there and sort of um, – Kind of baked in uh, to to our perceptions, what the candidates are doing. I mean, um, uh, Clinton. I'll say Clinton. I won't say Hillary Clinton now. Um, yes, yeah, I mean his, his. I mean, I can look across the street from me, and uh, uh, the sign says, "I'm with you know, I'm with Hillary." Right. Um, and that's that's been the you know, "Ready for Hillary" has has been the the, the slogan for for years and years and years. Um, whereas Trump has been pretty much, he presents himself as Trump. That's the brand. Uh, that's what's on the big building. So to some extent, I think that's sort of put out there in the public. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway. And, and I, I suppose we unconsciously or consciously pick up on that as a lot of people do. Yeah. That's um, a good point. So no, but I, I don't think there's, there's any in, intent uh, on, on either of us to, um, diminish, uh, uh, Mrs. Clinton by, by calling her by her first name. That seems to be. No. Again, just sort of the, the shorthand for, for how people talk about these things. And, yeah. and maybe it is a, a automatic sexism uh, type thing or maybe it is just what's been put out there already. Yeah. So Yeah, I think, that, I think that's a good point. All right. Well, uh, if you have a comment or question or correction for us, uh, please send us an email. We're at politicsguys at gmail.com or you can message us on our Facebook Politics Guys page. Um, we while we won't read every email on the air, we most definitely will personally respond to every single listener email and Facebook message we get. So, And we love to get those things. All right. I think that about does it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. yeah that, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or any questions for Ask the Politics Guys, we would love to hear from you. And again, that email is politicsguys at gmail.com. And then there's our Facebook page. We've been posting stuff a lot, and we post throughout the weeks. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And we're also on Twitter at politicsguys. And if you're interested in helping us keep the show going, sharing and retweeting our new show posts and tweets, uh, that can be really helpful, as well as reviewing the show on iTunes or Stitcher. That definitely helps a lot, too. And finally, if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do that through the PayPal or Patreon links on our website, and we absolutely appreciate that. And while you're there, be sure to check out our listener rewards.
The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.